It is so good to be here uh, with you, Springs Community Church. It's been, um, it's been a, a delight to my heart. I've received, and I know Katie has as well already, such a warm welcome from many of you, and um, such a delight to be here. And many of you, some, some new faces as well, which is so good to see. So um, I wanted to share with you a little bit about my family. For those of you um, who might not be as familiar with us, part of my story is that um, I grew up in this church um, causing a lot of trouble. So then when I was a grown up, I had to serve here for seven years as penance. Um, and so I'm, I think I mostly made up for that, but uh, still working. This is my crew right here. This is the Brooks family. You can see um, right there on my left is our oldest daughter, Taylor. That's Taylor Grace. She is eight years old. Um, she has this incredible compassion and wisdom and faith that she walks with, and we just delight in Taylor. Um, in my arms, there is our newest. That is Stevie Joy, and this was probably taken uh, when she was about a month old. Is that about right? Something like that. So uh, she's eight months now, so she's like triple that size. Um, Stevie is, uh, she was born on a day without a cloud in the sky, and that's just who she is. She is this delightful, joyful personality, and um, I already can see that God has, has selected and chosen her to be just a dynamic, compassionate, and good leader in his kingdom. You see my beautiful wife there over my right shoulder, that is Katie. She's my anchor, my rock, and um, I, you know, anything that, that God calls us to do as a family, we just have a sense of confidence because we get to do it together. And it's so fun sharing life and sharing the kingdom with her. And then there on my right side is my son, Beniam. And Beniam actually is from Ethiopia. Uh, he uh, came to us when he was six months old and his name is the Amharic version of Benjamin. Benjamin is Hebrew for son of my right hand, and that's the way we see Beniam as well. He's actually sitting there on my right hand, and it's a, a way for a father to say to a son, hey, you're my pride and joy, you're my delight. And when most people look at this family, they see, they see a picture of a mom and a dad with a couple of biological kids and an adopted kid, and that is true. But I have to tell you, when we look at this picture, we just see our kids, there became a point in time when we just stopped seeing uh, Beniam as our adopted kid. He is, and we are so proud of that and, and so blessed that God brought him into our family. But I tell you this, I will go weeks and not think of him as adopted. And if you want to get under an adopted parent's skin, call the biological kids their real kids. That'll do it. But when we look at Beniam, we just see our son, I see the son of my right hand. I see this, this boy that God has given me to love and to shape, and he calls me best friend dad. It's his little nickname for me that he just uses without thinking of it, and he is a delight in my heart. Just like the other two kids, they bring us so much joy and delight as Katie and I walk, doing our best to shepherd them and parent them. But I will be honest with you that not all adoption stories are as are smooth and easy, that there can be a lot of pain and challenge when it comes to adoption. Some kids come home to their families at much older ages. Like I said, Biniam came home with us when he was six months old. Actually, this coming Tuesday, it will be five years since we brought him home. So we get to celebrate that as a family. And many of you were with us as we went through that. But some kids, 
come home after having spent a much longer period of their lives living in an orphanage. And you should know that even the best orphanages are not good places for kids to grow up. Even the, the ones that are, uh, that are doing the very best they can still lack a mom and a dad that love and care for and pour into a child that's their very own. And so oftentimes, in adoption, some kids will bring a part of their life as orphans into their new home. Not intentionally, not meaning to, but it takes a while for them to learn to walk in a new way of living. There are some of these behaviors that, that people have identified, and, and there are probably a lot more, but I'll just mention a few of them. One thing is sometimes kids will do this thing called self-parenting, where kids have learned in the, in the orphanage that really they have to be in control of their own world, their own, their own scenarios. Maybe they have younger siblings that are in the orphanage with them, and so they kind of become the parent. And then they bring that into this new world where there actually are parents who love them and who are devoted to care for them and provide for them, but they don't know how to receive that. And so they control the world around them and they start taking on roles and tasks that are not in any way appropriate for their age and sometimes even begin bossing around mom and dad as though they're the parent in the family. Some kids practice hoarding behaviors. When they're in the orphanage, they... They never knew for sure at the next meal if it would be enough for them. And so they would eat and kind of take as much food as they could and hope that there'd be another meal around the corner. It wasn't always steady like that. And so now they get home to this, this new life where there's actually an abundance of food and it's regular and, and it's consistent. But at mealtimes, they'll start kind of hiding food. And they'll, they'll hide it away for later to make sure that if they need food, they can always find it. Or maybe they'll, they'll make sure they always know where their, their clothes are because they didn't know if someone would take their clothes from them in their previous life. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to grab that water real quick. Thank you, darling. See what I mean? She's just on point. <clears throat> Other kids practice this thing called indiscriminate affection where every parent that came in to the orphanage was a potential mom and dad. And so the strangers who came in over and over and over again, they began just practicing as much affection toward these strangers as possible, hoping that they could win over the affection of strangers that would, would adopt them. And so now they're in their, their new life and their new world, and they still practice this. And in fact, they practice it in a way where they they, they will they'll wrap their arms around you the first time you meet them and it feels so sweet and kind, but they fail to attach to their new mom and dad. They'll, they'll wrap their arm around strangers in the grocery store or at parties, but they haven't really learned what it means to be discriminate in their affection to the two people that have committed to love them and care for them. Our story wasn't like that, but so many are. And they're stories of what happened when we bring the practices and patterns of an old way of living into a new world, into a new life. They're stories of what happened when we bring this idea of how I get along in a world where things are broken and messed up and not the way they're supposed to be. And we carry that into a world where things have been renewed and redeemed and changed. We're going to look at Romans 6 today. 
And I think what we'll see in there is Paul talking to a group of people. In a sense, what he's saying is, you're in a new world now. You live in a completely different realm, a different reality, that where you were before is not where you are today. And it is time to stop living in that old place. It's time to live into this new world. So would you open up your Bibles if you have them? And we're gonna read through parts of Romans 6 and we'll kind of pause as we go through. So kind of just keep it open. But uh, before we do that, I wanna pray with you. Lord, thank you. Thank you that everything we get to preach as teachers of your word are things that you have already determined to be true. And Lord, if if any way my words stray from your truth, I just ask that you would help them not to stick. But instead, Lord, let the gospel be preached today. Instead, let it come out of scripture and into our hearts that we might absorb it in our hearts and reflect on it with our minds and commit to love you with our strength as we apply it. God, we thank you and praise you for the truth we get to press into. And yet sometimes we just need to be reminded and shaken and be told afresh what a good father you are. And so would you do that with us now? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Paul writes this in Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in order that, in, into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united to him in death, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has any mastery over him. The death he died He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pause there for a moment. I think Paul is trying really hard to tell us something. I think there's a point he's trying to make over and over again. Now, I can't count eight times in these 11 verses that he either says we've been crucified or we've died or or that we've been buried. Verse two, we are those who have died to sin. Verse three, all of us were baptized into Jesus' death. Verse four, we were therefore buried. Verse five, united in a death like his. Six, Our old self was crucified. Verse seven, anyone who has died, meaning you. Verse eight, and now if we have died, and he just told you a lot that you have. Verse 11, count yourselves dead to sin. Paul is going out of his way, and I'm guessing if you've been here over the last several weeks, this might even sound a little bit like repetition or or redundancy. He is saying over and over and over again, you are dead to sin, My son, 
is my son. When I look at him, I do not see an orphan saved by adoption. I see my son. And the life he lives with us now is very different than the life he would have lived as an orphan. By God's grace, we've been able to be caught up into the story of redemption and restoration. My son is my son. And here's the truth. You are not a sinner saved by grace. We use that title, we use that phrase all the time. It's, it's kind of one of these things, especially in, in reform circles. And I can already start to feel I'm in a little bit of hot water here. <laughs> you are not a sinner saved by grace. Actually, I have seen a sinner saved by grace. Do you want to know where? I've seen a sinner saved by grace over here. Actually, when this tub was open and there was someone coming out of the water, that sinner saved by grace came up and the water was still covering her face and then she started to breathe air and she wasn't a sinner saved by grace anymore. She was for a moment because she was in sin. But then she died to sin. She was baptized into the death of Jesus and she was raised up into new life. So she was not a sinner anymore. But as you read through the New Testament, you'll see that that Paul and Peter and John, they do not address to the sinners in the church of Ephesus or to the sinners saved by grace of Thessalonica or, or to you, dear little sinners, I write. It says to the saints, to the holy ones of God, to the royal priesthood. Pentium is not an orphan anymore. He is my son. You are not a sinner anymore. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are a saint. Now, is there some some truth to the idea that we can identify as a sinner saved by grace? Sure, if you feel like you need to do that, but I would warn you with this. You're identifying with something that's old and dead. So dead that Paul said, let's not put you on ice. Let's throw dirt on you. Let's make sure that you're buried. And so you're identifying with something in the past. Might that hold you back from living into the life you are called to live today? It's not just bad theology. It might hold you back from holiness. My daughter, Taylor, I told you about her incredible faith. And we have watched as she battles this disease called cystic fibrosis. And as a part of that battle, we came to a point where she had to rebuke us because we kept saying, Taylor has cystic fibrosis. And one night I was laying in bed with her and she says, Dad, I don't like it when you say that because I don't have it and it doesn't have me. I don't want to own cystic fibrosis anymore. And I was like, wow, powerfully rebuked by an eight-year-old. Whew, so good, right? But she's saying, this is not mine. This is not who I am in Jesus She believes in her heart that she has been healed and she told her doctor, I've been healed. We're just waiting for for the earth to catch up with heaven. And we're just like, yes. And you need to know that's true about you. God told her, you need to stop identifying with this disease. It's not who you are. And I believe he might be speaking to us today. Stop identifying with sin. Stop calling yourself a sinner. You are a saint You are my daughter. You are my son. I have claimed you. 
Now live into it. And so Paul continues. Go to verse 12 with me. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Amen. Amen. And so I'll be honest with you. This is where it can start to get a little bit confusing, doesn't it? Paul just went out of his way over and over and over again saying, hey, that sinner, that sinful man, that old man is dead, buried, gone. And now he's here saying, by the way, maybe stop sinning. <laughs> well, which one is it, Paul? Am I a sinner or am I not? I think that I can get stumbled up on this and entangled up in it if, if I misunderstand sin. Oftentimes, we, we name the activity, we name the actions, and we call that sin. We say, oh man, I, I know the other day, I, I didn't tell the complete truth. I, I know that I lied, and that was sin. Or we identify saying, man, I, I, was, I was surfing the internet, and I was at a place I, I know I shouldn't have been. That was sin. Or I, I talked about my friend behind their back, or, or, or I, I, I haven't really been trusting God with my money and I've been kind of practicing some greed, or whatever it might be, we have these list of things that we can point to and identify as sin. But what we need to, to think is, is change our thinking and saying, those things are not necessarily the root of sin, they're the symptoms of sin. Sin is a disease that we had. And when we would lie or when we would be lustful or when we would, we would fly off the handle in anger or whatever it might be, those things are symptoms of a disease that we were walking around with in our body. It was a master over us in our body. We could not help but manifest our disease. And Paul's saying, you've been healed. You've been cured of that disease called sin. Would you stop living out the symptoms? How many of you have had the chicken pox before? How many of you have it now? That's good, okay. <laughs> I've been told that chicken pox are a disease that you have once and only once. Now, if this is not true and you're a medical professional and you know that not to be true, just go with me anyway. I don't need to hear about it after the service. It's okay that I'm wrong about the chicken pox. But I'm told it's something that once you have it, you can't have it again. So I think I had the chicken pox when I was about seven or eight and, and I was itching all over my body and the red dots everywhere. And I think there's like this pink lotion stuff you had to put on it to try to make it better. And like take baths all the time. But after I was done with the chicken pox, what if I just kept scratching anyway? Just itched all over my body just for the, for the next three or four years, just scratched. I mean, the disease is gone and it's not coming back, but I just keep living out the symptoms pretending that it's still there. Now, after a while, I might scratch so much that there's actually becomes new red spots and I'm irritating my skin. It might actually look as if though I still have the disease, but it's not in my body anymore. In the same way, when we die to sin, the disease is gone. Paul is saying to us, stop practicing the symptoms of the disease. Don't offer yourselves over to sin anymore. 
Don't offer your body as an instrument to sin. The disease does not live within you. Instead, there's something new spreading in your body. There's something new that has taken root, and and it's called righteousness. And it has symptoms too, that you'll begin to live out as righteousness takes root in you and begins to spread. It's actually a contagion. It can spread to other people through you. Live out of the symptoms of righteousness. Offer your body as as an instrument to God and his righteousness because you're not under sin anymore. You become a slave to God and to righteousness. So the reality of it is this. We can still sin if you want to. You are able to sin. In fact, try it tonight. Go home and, and, and sin. I mean, make sure you're not here anymore. But you'll learn these two things. One, you can still do it. And two, it's really stupid. In fact, if you want to just take my word for it, that might be the best option rather than practicing it. But you are still able to sin. The sinner is dead, but you can still practice the symptoms. You can still scratch, even though the the pox are gone. But Paul's just saying, it's dumb. Stop doing it. You've been cured of the disease. Now offer yourselves to righteousness, live out of the symptoms of this new thing that's spreading within you because that's who you are. Secondly is this, we misunderstand grace. Grace is not just the removal of our sin. Oftentimes we need to distinguish what is the difference between this biblical idea of mercy in this idea of grace. And, and sometimes in scripture we see it used almost synonymously, but I, I want to make sure we understand this. We misunderstand that mercy is, is the removal of our guilt. We have been living under sin. That disease has infected us. And because of Jesus, because of what he's done, because of his, his death and his blood that covers us, that guilt has been removed. And that is the mercy of God. But that removal doesn't just put us in this place of not being a sinner anymore and then we stand in this neutral position until we screw up again and then we go back into the sin category. Grace is powerful. Grace does not just remove sin from me. Grace imparts righteousness. Grace makes it so that I am now able to live out holiness. Grace gives me power to live like Jesus. So when I say, there but by the grace of God go I, I don't mean like, man, God just preventing me from doing bad stuff. It's saying, no, God has empowered me to live kingdom life. Grace is powerful. Grace lets me live out righteousness. Grace makes it so that things I could not do on my own, I now can do because of Jesus. You are not under the law anymore. You are under grace. And what that means is not only can you stop sinning, but you can be holy. When Paul calls the churches saints, when Peter tells them you are a royal priesthood, this is not just wishful thinking. Saying you're under grace. You are holy people. Jesus has empowered you to live like he did. You're not sinners saved by grace anymore. You're God's holy people, and holiness is a part of your birthright. Paul gets into this more. Go to verse 15. Longer section here, so hang in with me. What then, 
shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used (coughs) to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Those last two verses could be the whole message. But I think it's important we back up to verse 16 and 17 for a moment. Don't you know that when you offered yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you were slaves to the one you obeyed? Whether you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. You had to practice obedience to sin. What what Paul is saying here is is there was a process in your life, in your heart, in your soul, in the old way you used to live, by which you offered yourself to a master called sin. And you offered yourself saying to that master, master, I will learn to become obedient to you. Paul's using this example and saying, you know what slavery looks like. When a master is over you, you have to learn obedience to that master. It's part of the deal. And it used to be that you learned obedience to sin. And I want to tell you that sin is a learned behavior. Now, it's something that is a part of that first Adam, and and we're infected with the disease, but the actual practice of sin, we had to learn. No one learns, or no one starts out knowing how to become an alcoholic. We, We learn how to become an alcoholic. Now, there might be tendencies there or or predisposition. That's a question for for science. But we we learn the practice of what does it look like to to have a little bit more and and then to hide it and then to lie about it and then to do all those behaviors are things we learn as we obey this master. When I was in sixth grade, this is gonna be a good story. You knew it already. When I was in sixth grade, It was my first time or one of my first times going trick-or-treating without my parents. And I was going out with my my best friend at the time, and my best friend had older brothers. And the older brothers had plans that night that did not include going house to house with our bags and getting candy. I didn't know that when I left the house, but that became very apparent when we got into their friend's pickup truck and started just driving around the town doing crazy things. We went like off-roading and like fields in the middle of the city. We were grabbing pumpkins and, and smashing them. We were throwing candy at trick-or-treaters. It was a real just show of ignorance and stupidity. Remember I said, 
you can sin and it's really stupid. Man, we were owning it that night. So I felt like excited to be included by these older people, but I was going from like fifth grade to sixth grade, this process of kind of like leaving this younger part of life and into adolescence. And there was some turmoil in my soul about all of it. So much so that when I got home that night and my dad asked, hey, how was trick-or-treating? And I was like, it was fine, dad. Just went straight to bed. (laughs) He said, stop. Come back here. Sit down. Son, I can see on your face that something's not right and you need to spill the beans. And I did. I was grounded for two weeks and all those boys really hated me for ratting them out. (laughs) It was a couple more years until I gave my life to Jesus and I got better at lying to my parents. I learned how to become obedient to the master of sin. You have learned these habits and these practices, these symptoms, you've learned how to do them well. It's not who you are. It's, a, it's a, a practice that's been brought into your life and you've learned them. But verse 17 says this. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You had to learn to become sinful, and now from your heart, you've come to obey a new pattern of teaching. You get to learn righteousness. You get to walk it out. You get to learn how to be holy. And so some of you are sitting there and it's like, man, this is great for theology, but I still struggle. I still struggle with unrighteousness. I still struggle with sin. I have habits that I learned, having a hard time unlearning. And what I want to say to you is, those habits you did learn under a master, but you're under a new master now. And you can learn holiness. You can learn to walk in righteousness. You can be free from those old habits and that sin. It is not your master. Jesus is your master. And his blood has set you free. Now learn to walk in holiness. If you struggle with addiction, if you struggle with pornography, you can be set free. You can learn to walk in holiness. If you struggle with anger or rage, it's not just your wiring, it's not just who you are, it's not just human nature. You had to learn that. And now you can learn holiness. Now you can learn peace. Now you can learn reconciliation. If you struggle with gossip, you can learn how to be a good friend. If you struggle with dishonesty, you can learn honesty. There's a pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. And that claimed your allegiance is saying, it's not because of what you've done. Jesus has claimed you. He has claimed your heart. You were a prisoner in this old camp and he came in and he kicked down the walls and he grabbed you out of there. His blood has set you free. You are now living as a master of righteousness and you can learn to walk in holiness. Now you might need to do some work. Part of that walk is repentance. Part of that walk is confession. 
Part of that walk is the coming to, to the community of faith that God has set you in and said, this is part of my old man that I, and I learned when I was in that, that way of living and I need it broken off of me. I like that orphan saying, I don't know how to have a mom and dad, but I wanna have one now. That orphan saying, I don't know how to trust that that next meal is gonna be there, but I wanna learn trust. And any good parent would say, we will walk with you and we will teach you how to be a part of a family. We will teach you what it means to be a son and a daughter. And Jesus is saying, I will teach you righteousness. I won't teach you condemnation. I won't teach you rejection. I won't shame you. I'll teach you righteousness. And it goes on to say in verse 22, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap is holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can learn holiness, and in fact, you were designed for holiness. We use these phrases that, that just disempower us. You know, it's just human nature. I'm only human. Romans 3.23 says, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But have you ever asked yourself, why would God set this standard of his glory if we weren't meant to meet it? Why would God say, hey, you know what? This, this bar here of my glory, you fell short of that, and that's a problem. Unless we were supposed to hit that. Do you know that God designed you and engineered you and fashioned you not as a sin machine, but as a holiness factory. He designed you for his glory. When he was thinking of, of you in heaven, he fabricated you with intention and with, with destiny in mind, saying, my glory is the mark for you. When we live holiness, we become a slave to righteousness. We're no longer sinners saved by grace. We are the holy saints of God. And holiness is the fruit of our lives. Beth just celebrated Billy Graham. It's a man who was living out holiness. There's nothing different between him and you. He maybe have a different mantle, a different assignment, but the holiness that flowed from you comes from the same source. You have the same Holy Spirit. You have the same Jesus. The same blood that washed him and set him free has washed you. You've received the same baptism in the water and in the spirit. There is no difference. You were designed for holiness. And you need to stop identifying with sin. You need to embrace holiness. So that's what God meant for you and designed for you. And when the people of God get their hands and their hearts around their destiny, that's when crusades happen and, and, and cities come to Jesus. That's when revival happens. That's when great awakening happens. That's when trafficking is slowed down and stopped. That's when poverty is stunted. That's when water is brought to the whole world. When the people of God live out of holiness, eternal life, not just later, but now, is the result eternal life, the kingdom of God coming here because we live out of holiness. Brothers and sisters, Springs Community Church, this is a holiness factory. Holiness is, is, is gonna be pumped 
out of you. Individually and collectively, there's going to be just waves of God's goodness that come because you've been set free, because you've been redeemed and washed in Jesus' blood, and because sin is not your master, but Jesus is. And all of a sudden, people are going to look and say, eternal life is happening there and in you and through you. And so if there are things in your life that just feel like Goliath, they feel like giants, if there's sin that you know is just even right now gnawing at you and convicting you, if there's something that it's, it's whispering in your ear, you're disqualified. If they only knew what was true about you, that preacher wouldn't be preaching this to you. That is a lie. You are holy. Jesus' blood is more powerful than your sin. Jesus' death in resurrection has set you free. And right now, he is seated on the throne and all authority in heaven and on earth is his. And he is speaking to that voice, that whisper, that sin, and saying, you have to leave my holy one. And so it might be a process in this season of your life where you know, I gotta start walking in righteousness. There's a pattern of teaching and I gotta figure that out. This is a, a place, this is a family that wants to walk with you in that. I love your pastor's heart. He is not about condemnation. He is not about rejection. Your pastor and your leaders here love you and they believe in your destiny. And if you come to them and you confess and you repent, they will not reject you. They will love you. It says, any of you is caught in sin, restore them gently. You will be gently restored and taught a pattern of righteousness and holiness so that you can live into the life you were designed for. You can be free. Sin is not your master. And for those of you who, who just are, are calling yourselves sinners saved by grace and there's this self-deprecating nature to it and, and it looks like humility, Jesus wants to say, stop. You've been washed in my blood. Start calling yourself holy. Start calling yourself righteous. Start calling yourself a, a, a kingdom son and daughter, an heir and heiress, a co-heir with Christ. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly places and sinners don't sit there. Brothers and sisters, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that starts now.